0: Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, and this is Lockhead on Marketing. On this episode, one of the most high profile CMOs in the tech world, my buddy Dave Gerhardt, aka DG, who is the CMO of Privy, is here. And we have a fantastic conversation. We get into all of it from marketing planning to category design and uh, more. I was recently a guest on his podcast, which is called B2B Marketing Leaders. That's B2B Marketing Leaders. And in a lot of ways, this conversation is a continuation of that conversation. It's one younger CMO with one older CMO. I'll let you decide who's who. And uh, we really chop it up and get into uh, get into all of it. And it's fun. Uh, DG is awesome. He's incredible to follow on LinkedIn. If you don't follow him on LinkedIn, I highly recommend it. And he's also got an awesome new marketing group on Facebook called DGMG. Um, and I, I love seeing what uh, marketing leaders are thinking about. Anyway, um, we are sponsored by my good friends at Splunk, bringing data to everything, every question, every decision, and every action. Check out splunk.com slash D, the number two, the letter E as in data, to everything. And my friends at NetSuite from Oracle are the leading cloud erp system check out netsuite.com slash different today because you need the visibility and control in your business or you ain't going to have a business check out netsuite.com slash different all right get your pen and paper ready you're going to love this one here's dg hey ho let's go
1: this is locketta marketing the podcast that helps you develop the lens for what makes legendary marketing legendary Hosted by Christopher Lockhead, three-time CMO, godfather of category design, and a high school dropout, who the Marketing Journal calls one of the best minds in marketing, and The Economist calls off-putting to some.
0: So is there anything hot or
1: burning you want to talk about in marketing right now? You know what's funny? For some reason, the first question that... Everybody asks me and I hate when people say that I get this question a lot because who am I to get questions but for real something's happened in the last two four six months where everybody's first question they ask is about category creation and, and design gee I wonder why I spent 34 fucking years trying to make that the t- first topic of <laughs> conversation <laughs> just for the record that's like messaging in a nutshell right which is like you got to tell the same story over and over and over and over and over and then until one day you know it takes off and you can be you know wherever you are doing your thing but it it's interesting that a lot of people are asking about it, and I think it's encouraging because I think even if you don't set out to go and create a billion dollar category creation, you know, by the way you defined it, uh, I think it's an interesting move if you're the coffee shop down the street. Absolutely, right? Like you were on my podcast talking a lot about e-bikes and, and and different niches like that, and so I think I think there's a lot of intersection between somehow category and niche actually are really related somehow in my head. Well, niche, niche is a small category, really. And and it's maybe
0: not as yeah. ambitious, if you will, as sort of, you know, Steve Jobs, Sarah Blakely, uh, Elon Musk <laughs> type category stuff. But the other interesting thing I wanted to show you this, Kevin Maney, and, he's the guy who wrote uh, Play Bigger with us. And anyway, one of the things he said was category design is a new lens on business. And once you have the lens... You use it and you see new categories everywhere. And so, of course, I've I've seen these new categories everywhere for most of my adult life. Here's another one I I got recently. Check this out. This was a, um, I just spoke at um, Ray Wong's enterprise conference and they send the speakers a gift bag and this was in the gift bag. And this thing, this little box is from Mophie and you put your phone in it and it charges your phone, but... They call it, you ready for this, UV sanitizer with wireless charging. And so this is your COVID iPhone charger. You put your iPhone in here, it charges, and it sanitizes your phone, your smartphone.
1: New category. I've seen that. My father-in-law had one of those. They were... Early COVID when everybody's wearing gloves to the grocery store, um, he, he got one. So yeah, that's two, two. And I, one. I, I just found
0: out about it recently, but
1: there you go. a whole new category of COVID cleaning charger. So that's, that's one thing, honestly, what most marketers are thinking about right now is 2021 and planning. And I'd be curious to know your take on, on planning, right? You've been, you've done the CMO thing a bunch of times. You work with a bunch of companies, I always get frustrated by the planning process because you're asked to, for one month out of the year, you're asked to make a plan for 12 months and it's, it can be really impossible to know what the next three, four, five months look like. And so I've always just like, I'm always interested in hearing other people's, you know, thoughts from like a planning perspective, but do you have any like guidance around how you would want to be thinking about that? Yeah, actually,
0: surprisingly, I do. <laughs> I think it's important. And I think that the way to think about it maybe, and I say this more like an idea and less like an is, is that your plan is sort of a framework. So in marketing, there's certain things we know, right? So if we have a big, if we're in B2B tech like you and me, if we have a big user customer conference every year in May or September, or whenever it is, we know we're going to do that. If we have a rigorous product roadmap, internal product roadmap, we have a general idea that you know, in June, we're going to be launching a big new product and eh, maybe it'll slip to September or whatever, but we know there's one or two or three or whatever it is, big product launches that we're going to be doing. Right. We know from a planning perspective, what our bookings or revenue or sales goals are for the year quarterized. And that allows us to work back to, you know, what marketing needs to do to help produce those numbers, whether it's campaigns that drive leads or whether it's uh, training and sales enablement or what have you. So I think at the beginning of the planning process, there are major things that we can kind of wrap our arms around that are knowns that we can plan for. And we can, in some cases, particularly if we've done those things in the past at the company that we're at, you know, we can budget them if we know that, the last time we did a lightning strike for a new product launch, we spent X hundred thousands or X million or whatever it is, depending on the size of your company. You know, we can sort of have a rough idea that that we might be uh, investing that amount of money this time and so forth and so on. So I think there's some things like that that we can anchor to. Then I think after that, the next sort of layer of granularity is there's some major things that we can bucketize, right? we We can roughly know how much we want to spend on product marketing and management, we can roughly, how many people we need, et cetera. We can roughly game out how much we might, might need in campaigns and things like that. And so if you take the sort of very big buckets in market PR, blah, 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 if we're doing an owned media strategy, and if we're not, we're stupid. You know, we know how much our podcast costs. We know how much our, our content strategy generally costs and how would to distribute that shit. So I think there's some things... It, that you can get your arms around for a 12 month look forward into the new year. Yeah. I like that. All that said, I like that. We have to have massive flexibility, right? Because we might find out in, in January or we might find out in March that, you know, Hey, there's a shit that we've been doing digitally that we were only experimenting with. That's really working. And we want to take a bunch of money from here and invest it over here because we're on to something. Right. So that's why I think, it's it's a framework, maybe more than a hardcore plan. The way maybe finance would would think of a plan. Um, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. And I I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is they get paralyzed by the well, what are we going to be doing on uh you know April seventh? And it's like no no no. What what are the big buckets? And I like that you mentioned lightning strike because it's almost like what you need to do is sit down, forget before you even pull up a a, a Google Slides or whatever. Get on a, get a piece of paper out and write down what are all the lightning strikes that you know of for the year. Right. Okay. Our conference is this day. Dreamforce is this day. We want, it, we want to do this thing this time. Okay. Now you got three. Well, can you get through the year with three things? No, we got to come up with more. Okay. So let me go talk to the product team. Okay. We got these four launches. So now I got seven things. Okay. Now you can start to figure out like, well, in this month, I'm going to have to make something up. And so in this month, this month is going to, we're, we're going to make up a holiday and we're going to create a whole campaign around. Okay, cool. Good idea. Right. Okay. Now where are we at? And it's kind of like this, you know, I think it it is a mix of like this art and science of like, all right, what can you get from the company? And you got to be able to push in all those areas. And so like where I'm at is like, Hey, here's the marketing plan for the year, but I have nothing from product. And so I'm in the executive team meeting being like product team, what do you got for us? <laughs> Right, you, know, you get it. and 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 because ultimately we can go
0: six months without something from you, but it's hard to go a year with nothing. Right? I was involved with a company once. Yeah, uh, I was on the board of, and the fucking product team took two years off. Well, guess what? <laughs> no, really, no, nothing major of consequence. Yeah, nits and nats. Well, guess what? We lost the entire category battle because sooner or later, marketing can't just make shit up. Right.
1: We do sell stuff. <laughs> hey, here's a question for you related to this because I was going to ask you, but I don't, I want to, in my Facebook group, you commented something like, I po- I posted this video from this new app called Descript and I was like, this is a great product. It's a lot easier doing marketing for a product that doesn't suck. And you kind of had a controversial uh, pushback on that, which I which I, I also agree with because I like to change my mind. Is um, Well, so of course on one
0: level, I agree with you. And of course, I love great legendary products, right? <laughs> So uh, let's not be stupid. Okay. That said, when Evian was designing the bottled water category, there were a few things that were true. Number one, the competition was free and available everywhere. The same called tap water. Exactly. (laughs) Number two, in a blind product taste test, 10 out of 10 people said it tasted like water. So it was free, and from a product perspective, very hard to distinguish, particularly when blind, right? So they created a massive category, which they dominate, and now has created all these subcategories. We just had Kara um, uh, Golden on Follow Your Different, the founder of Hint Water, unbelievably fantastic, inspiring entrepreneur. She's got a new book out, she's awesome. But, but the point being, yes, we want a legendary product, And the mindset of marketing, I think, needs to be, we're going to get no help from product ever. How can we win? And and I know that's a ridiculous statement, but if if we're saying it's all on product, then as marketers, we're being stupid. Yeah. The truth is you want both legendary marketing, legendary category design. And
1: those three things and legendary product. Well, even, even I, I like where you said that. Cause sometimes it feels like, and I have to remind myself of that. Sometimes it feels like, shit, we got to do every, like Mark, you can really make, cause you can make the case that marketing does everything, right? They can touch everything from new customers to customers that left you to whatever, to right. And so when I, I've always felt better when I've just thought about the market, the, the plan now, Hey, marketing is, even though I'm a big egomaniac and I love marketing, Marketing is just one piece of the brand of the whole business puzzle, right? And so marketing has to have a contribution. Product has to have a contribution. And sales has to have a contribution too. I think there's not enough like there's not enough realization that in marketing it's it's marketing and sales. Not hey we got to work together. And so maybe the solution is not to just continue to grow leads with through some shitty ebook or whatever. It's like how can we actually hey maybe we should spend maybe we should hire three new people and spend working on sales training and sales enablement because if we can improve the conversion rate of this stage of the funnel then we don't need to go generate five thousand new leads. Okay now we're starting to get a plan together. There's different levers. So like, I think that the best marketers today really are thinking beyond just marketing. And and, and I I work with someone now, and he's he's amazing at this, where he's like, hold on, hold on. Why continue to grow the top of the funnel at this rate where if we can fix churn in this segment, and so you can have marketers that are thinking about that, then you can really build a a, a revenue-focused plan as a marketer.
0: Amen. Hallelujah, brother. And to be clear, with all due respect to marketing, product, finance, and everyone else... In the B2B space, the hardest job in the company is sales. Yes. Getting somebody to pay millions of dollars for your, you know, in the world that we live, or certainly I grew up in enterprise software, you know, getting a major bank to spend $25 million on a bunch of zeros and ones that they can't even touch is a very fucking hard thing to do. Point A. And point B, I think if you can't sell, you have no business being in marketing. Because in some ways, in many ways, and we did an episode on this a while ago, marketing is sales at scale. Anyway, all that said, there's air wars and there's ground wars. And they're very, they're both of them are incredibly important. And I've worked with legendary sales organizations and leaders, and I've worked with non-legendary and I know which one I'll take. And I'll tell you, my legendary sales friends are some of the most powerful relationships I've ever had in my 34 year career. And I love them. And as a CMO, my goal was to spend 50% of the time in the field selling. I didn't yeah. normally hit it. I normally probably got closer to 40 but. I went on a lot of sales calls. I was the executive sponsor of a lot of deals. I was, you know, uh, the executive sort of uh, um, support uncle of different regions. Or if if we were creating a new overlay team to drive a new product, or, you know, we'd want somebody on the executive team who wasn't in sales
1: to sort of be the, the outside of sales supporter of that. I was always that guy. You know what's interesting about that, though? I bet that the sales people wanted you there. Right. There's a, are you, are you the marketer that they want? Hey, Christopher is going to hop in. Hey, is it cool if Christopher hops along for this meeting? And they're like, fuck, <laughs> we're going to blow this deal. Right. Versus like, you know, I've had relationships with CEOs, CTOs who like, no, we want, we want Dave there. Like we're, the, the, the we're going to close We have a better chance of closing this deal if we, if we can bring you. And, and so I think like part of that is yes, learning messaging as a marketer, if you can't sell it, you can't, how can you, you know, if if you're going to write the message in a vacuum and not go test it, it's never going to be effective. I also think though, that part of that is relationship building and credibility building with the sales team. Forget whether you close those deals or not. If the sales team feels like this person is in the trenches with us and we are working on this together and yes, they have been in those meetings. And so, you know, I think a lot of it, there's a lot of, um, at, at a bunch of different companies, there's this, you know, feeling of like, well, Marketing doesn't know. They're not on the phones. And I think, I think that's bullshit now because I think that's been really democratized. There's apps. you know, I have an app on my phone, Gong, G-O-N-G, that I can listen to every customer call that we've had as a business right mm. now. And I can, mm. it's, a, it's basically like a podcast app. And so when I was really trying to learn Privy, this new company that, I, that joined a year ago, for, for, for a whole month, every time that I was working out or going grocery shopping or doing something around the house, I said, I'm not going to put on a podcast. I'm taking a podcast hiatus and I'm going to use this app instead. And I listened to customer calls for a month. So that that caught me up. I love you for that. That's incredible. Fantastic. What's the name of that? Gong? Yeah, G O N G. Gong. Yeah. It's, is it is a gong.com or how how do I find Gong? Gong.io. They they just they just raised but they're they're I think they're a, a new a newly minted unicorn, but it's a, it's a great company. It's a great product. They you know, the call recording has been like a teaching tool for cut for, for a while, but but what's cool about it is you can actually go and you can search. And so I can search how often our podcast was mentioned on sales calls. Or so if I'm doing I'm do, if I'm doing training and I'm trying to train the sales team on something, I can go and measure it by met by list by you know seeing it that it's actually come up. Awesome. It's really cool. But here here's here's what you made me think of. In the early days of Drift, I would there was a sales meeting at the end of every day at five o'clock. And I was the only marketing person and there was three sales reps and I would go and sit with them at the end of the day, every single day. And everyone would go around. This is really early stage. So like, you know, there's no, no business yet. We're just pr- figuring it out. And, and all the sales reps would go around and they would have to say how many calls they made, how many demos they had, how many deals they closed. And then I had to sit at the table as a marketer and also say what I did for the day. Hmm. And so that started to bring us all on the same playing field where like, you know, if if Danielle next to me says, I made 30 calls and I'm like, I wrote a blog post today. She's going to be like, well, what the, how is that helping us? (laughs) But what it created was this relationship where like, I'd be like, oh, cool. And how did you get those meetings today? And she's like, well, two of them booked off that webinar that we did. I'm like, huh, sweet. Okay. We should go do more of that. And so we built up that rhythm early on where they would say, "Ah, I lost two, I lost two ops today because they said we didn't have any um, case studies in financial. Okay, well, let me go and do that. Three days later, I come back, same meeting. I'm like, hey, you asked for that. Here's a case setting. So I think you need to build that rhythm, that back and forth between sales and marketing to build those relationships. So it's cool to hear you talk about, you know, you prioritize that because I think it's important.
0: Yes, absolutely. And to build on what you're saying, another thing that I always wanted to get in front of is if you look at where the friction is with marketing, it's with sales and it's often with engineering, right? And I don't want any of that bullshit. What about legal? Uh, We'll get to legal in a second if you want. I have a strong opinion on legal, as you might expect. Um, And I've had great relationships with uh, legal leaders in my career. But to get rid of the stupid friction, there were certain things that I would do. A big one was what we're talking about, which is just be part of the sales cycle. And to your point at the top of, of that... My goal was always to be the most requested executive in the company on a sales call. Mm. Because if the field thought, if salespeople thought, Hey man, if we get Lockhead to do the corporate pitch, it's going to go better. Right? <laughs> right.
1: You, you should be the best at it in the company.
0: If the CMO is not the most legendary person at the corporate pitch, <laughs> exactly. time for a new CMO, right? Should be at least equal to the CEO and head of sales. And frankly, head of product. If those, if CMO, CEO, and head of product CPO or whatever they call them at the company. Those three should be absolutely legendary at the corporate pitch. And and if if you will, initiating a a real powerful dialogue with a a customer, if they're not, we need new ones in those jobs. Um, And so, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, I think uh, I certainly was, and I recommend it to other CMOs. I think we need to be explicit with our teams. Hey, listen, there will be no bullshit between sales and marketing. None. I never want to hear of or see an email or anything where somebody in marketing is throwing sales under the bus. We're not doing that. And by me spending a lot of time in the field and by me making it very clear and encouraging the sales organization to spend a lot of time as well, the marketing organization to engage deeply, all of that went away. And in addition, When I had great relationships with the head of sales, which I often did sometimes no, but often did certainly in my last CMO gig had incredible relationships with our sales leaders. Everybody knew it. So if you were going to throw sales under the bus in front of me, you knew you were going to get it. It was not acceptable. And the same thing with engineering and on the sales side, spent a lot of time in the field, spent a lot of time with customers, with salespeople on the engineering side. Twice a year, because the last company, Mercury, engineering was in Israel. Twice a year, I would fly to Israel and quote-unquote run engineering for a week. And our head of engineering would come to California and quote-unquote run marketing for a week. And not only did it work beautifully to build that relationship, it got to a point where the whole company knew about it and they knew when the week was. And I would show up at the cafeteria in Israel and it was like I felt like I was I don't know Santa Claus or a rock star <laughs> or something because I, I couldn't I'd have like a 2 hour lunch because just be talking to everybody right and what so What did you do?
1: What did you just go, go to all their meetings?
0: Yeah, I would do product review meetings was most of what I would do. Uh, discussions about what we should build next uh look at our our product teams at mercury were very externally focused so what are customers asking for what do they want where do we think we're weak vis-a-vis competition so what, what are some things we could do to absolutely destroy competition and so do that with the existing product teams and like most companies we had various groups working on net new shit right Big ideas, skunkworks projects, whatever. I always love spending time with them. What are we dreaming of? Why do we think we should do this? Uh, what, what are you what, what are you telling the M&A team we should be looking at potentially buying? Why, why do you think that? If I had ideas on that shit, which I, of course, I always did, because sure. I love products. I love engineering. I have ideas. Uh, I would share those ideas and get input and they would kick it around and tell me where they thought I was right or wrong or whatever. So, yeah, it was essentially product review meetings, jam sessions. And, and you know, the other thing that developed over time, DG, career coaching, hmm. right? As I built relationships with our leading engineering folks, they would ask for career advice, They would, or if there was something broken, they needed help with it, corporate or anything like that, any, any way I could help, right? And so... It was those kinds of things. And then Boaz, our head of engineering, would do the exact same thing in marketing. He'd look at marketing plans. He'd look at what we're working on. He'd be telling them about new shit that's in the pipeline that maybe they hadn't heard about. He'd give them career advice, very similar kinds of things. Uh, And then at the end of the week, he and I would get together. We'd take copious notes and uh, we'd spend, it was normally about half a day, sometimes a day, just giving each other all our learnings and insights around what we learn, and it would help with our organizations. And he'd say, oh, I'm not sure so-and-so is very strong. I didn't like their answer on such and you know. So people development and all that stuff. And 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 so we became, you know, brothers in that way. And and the same thing developed over time with sales because I had spent so so, so much time with sales. And so you can get to a place as they had a marketing where you destroy all of that stupidity around the oh, leads and well, where do you want to get a new product and all that stuff. We can flatten that stupidity and focus where we need to focus, which is on designing and dominating the category, building legendary products, and building a legendary company that
1: customers love and and people want to work at. Yeah, I I think, and being guided by, in order for you two to make that work, you all had to have shared goals. And so I think, like, a lot of breakdowns happen where, you know, if you have two different execs who are not both aligned on revenue, then you're going to have a lot of the bullshit that comes up between sales and marketing. Yeah. Well get yourself aligned for fuck's sakes. Yeah. No kidding. I'm going to completely change this topic, but I have a note that I want to ask you about because it's, you always do it. You're really good at naming things. Like you have these little names for things like you don't just talk about marketing. You have lightning strikes and you have air, you know, are you an air or like, is it an air attack or a ground attack? And, and you have another one, which is like, are you a, are you a farm? You have different types of CMOs, right? What do you call them? Farmers and fighters. Farmers and fighters. And for people listening, what you're witnessing from Christopher is actually a masterclass in successful marketing because what he's sharing is not something brand new. Those are, those are roles, but he's giving them names and something happens when you give something a name. And so like, I meant to tell you this last time, but I just think it's such a, it's such a powerful lesson that like, if you have your own business, let's say you sell to cybersecurity, like the more you can name your own things, don't just call it your blog, give your blog a name, give your event a name, give your podcast a name, give your way of doing things a name, give your category a name. It's such a good lesson. And and a lot of people just don't do it. And, and so I was going to, the long-winded way of saying that was, that part was for listeners, but this part is for you, which is, did you, did you do those intentionally or do you just catch yourself like, Oh, I'm going to call it that. and I'm going to make it stick. No, it's incredibly intentional because when you name
0: something, you frame something, you give people a way to think about it. And I do it all the time. Actually, it's so funny. You bring this up. I was just jamming with a guy on on LinkedIn that I don't know very well, but we were sort of talking about stuff and uh, it sort of veered off into the personal. And I was telling him um, how great I thought my wife was.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I don't know how we got there. I said, you know, I'll chase you down any zebra hole you want to go. Right. So we were talking about life and something, something, and I, I don't know where it led to that, but, and I was telling him how great I thought she was. And, um, and he, and he started to share with me about his wife In this, this case, uh, he's married to his college sweetheart, but they didn't get married when they were young. They, they broke up or whatever happened. They went and married other people, did whatever they did. And then some 20 years later or whatever it was, now they got married for the first time. And he said, you know, she's my soulmate and this and that and the other. So he's describing all this. We're going back and forth. It's a great story. And I said to her, I said to him, what's her name? Hmm. Because I don't just refer to Carrie as my wife. Because if I say to you, my wife, it has very little power. When I, when I call her her name, Carrie, all of a sudden, we build a relationship. It's the very beginning of a relationship. And so I said to him, what's her name? Because I wanted to make her real. I wanted to make her human, not just his wife. Yeah. The other thing about it that's really powerful, I think, is As you know, I'm a student of languaging, as are you. We use languaging to frame and change thinking. And a demarcation point in language creates a demarcation point in thinking, which creates a demarcation point in action. So when we call them winos and bums, we have one kind of a relationship with them. And that's what the people who live on the street used to be called. When we call them homeless people, it changes everything. You treat a bum one
1: way right. and a homeless person another way. Like the poor the poorly named like social distancing was poorly named. It should have been physical distancing, right? Like, Amen.
0: We want to be socially connected but unfortunately, we, we need some physical distance for the
1: next, however long this is going to be. Yes. Yeah. It's not socially awesome. distance. You, you, yes. you, you hit on like, this is like the most important copywriting lesson too, which is like to be um, specific, right. To, to be, to be specific because when you're specific, you paint, when you're specific, you paint a visual picture in somebody's mind. And so when you say my wife, it doesn't, it's not specific. When you say Carrie, I'm, I'm already instantly p- trying to picture like, you know, how tall is your wife? What, is, what does she look like? Like, you know, where is she from? Like you just, you just just actually do it where, you know, if I'm writing copy, I'm going to say, Hey, go, go get our new mint chocolate chip ice cream verse, uh, Christopher, could you imagine having two, you know, uh, uh, scoops of mint chocolate chip ice cream with those big chunks of chocolate chips in them with two globs of warm, hot fudge and and whipped cream. Like you're starting to like, you know, salivate and and, and picture that. And so even in the simplest form, being specific and giving something a name is really powerful.
0: Yes. For example, Uh, I've been getting into a lot of trouble on social media lately because, um, uh, I'm taking a stand on certain social issues and one of them is stop fucking killing black people. And so I have very good friends in Philadelphia and I have a couple of good, uh, black friends in Philadelphia and I believe his name uh, was Walter Wallace. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Um, who was most recently killed the young man with a knife that was, that was shot over 10 times by the cops who was having a mental breakdown. And when that happened, I posted on social media, stop fucking killing black people. And I got a lot of pushback from white people. They said, well, you know, he had a knife. The cops told him to stand down. You know, he didn't do what he was told. Tough shit. And I said, well, number one, 90% of the cops in London don't carry guns they deal with guys having mental breakdowns with knives all the time and they don't fire around. That's point a point B. And when I wrote a post about this, they unloaded over 10 rounds into Walter in front of his mother, Cindy. And I did that on purpose. I didn't say just in front of his mother, right? I named her. Because it you makes it about human. It makes you relate to that's that's what Cindy had to witness. And so, yes, when you name it, it becomes powerful. That's why we name our pets, right? We call some animals livestock, and other animals are pets. Livestock generally don't have names. I right. have seven hens, they all have names because they're pets, not livestock. Still the same animal completely shifts the context. And so, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Languaging changes everything. Naming changes everything. And, uh, when you're specific about something,
1: it brings it to life. It paints the picture in somebody's mind. I got another one for you while we're on this topic related topic. Did you see the, um, Expensify CEO email? I did not. Okay. So the ex- CEO of Expensify sent out an email to their whole customer base, every email that they have in their database, basically saying, I'm voting for Trump, you should too, here's why. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm voting, I'm voting for Biden, you should you should too, here's why. And I know where you stand on a, from a voting perspective, but I'm curious to get your opinion from a from a brand standpoint. Would you, have done, would you have done that and what do, you, what do you think like the playbook is for a, for a brand today? Because you, you've been talking a lot about, like I know you personally, you say what you want and as you should, but a lot of brands still have this like, I don't know, I got to appeal to it. So what, what stance would you take with a brand in, in this time and this time of day? and day? And specifically, do you have any thoughts on the expensive, thing?
0: Yeah, I, I do, as you might expect. Um, I did the same thing. I posted everywhere. I'm an independent. And um, this year I'm voting for Biden and here's why. And for me, this election really comes down to, uh, you know, we're now on the precipice of 250,000 dead Americans and war war dead, uh, combat deaths of Americans in Vietnam was under 60,000. I think it was 56,000, something like that. I may be off a little bit, but it's in that neighborhood. And um, I believe the data is, is clear and I believe the experts on this topic that had we taking the right actions, way, way fewer Americans would be dead. And um, that's incredibly upsetting to me. So I, I decided to take that position regardless. I think there's pros and cons. I think when you're, I didn't do those things when I was the CMO of other companies. Right. Like you you are, you now you're your own brand. You work for yourself. You can say whatever you want. That's right. And if somebody says, well, I'm not going to listen to your podcast or buy your book or do whatever, because you voted for Biden hey, you know what? Have at it. I don't care. Now, I do think it's important for people to know, and I stated this in my public statements. I'm an independent. I also believe for the exact same reason we need to get rid of President Trump, we need to get rid of Governor Newsom because Newsom's been in power for two years. When he came into power, um, we were having one of the worst fire years in California history. Subsequent to him being in power, The lack of action on the fires from him is stunning. And this year, of course, we had the worst year ever. And so I think the job of a leader, the number one job of a leader in this case, is the protection of the country and the people. And Trump didn't do that on C-19, and Newsom didn't do that on the fires. So you're fired. Right. And Newsom, of course, is a Democrat. And I have also said publicly, One of the reasons we have the problems that we have in California is we have one party rule. I believe we need strong, a strong GOP in California. I support the recall of Newsom and I want to see a very strong Republican party here, which of course we do not have. So I believe in the discourse. Now, those are just my opinions. But to your point, regardless of your opinions, I represent myself and I'm willing to take the flack for it. If you're a CEO, you have to understand that if you do that, you're going to lose revenue because of it. When the founder of MyPillow.com or the CEO of um, the UFC, Dana White, goes and speaks at the Trump convention, the GOP convention, they're going to lose fans and they're going to lose customers. That's going to happen. So you have to be very careful if you're an executive in a company about what you do. And when I was an executive in a company, I was very, uh, very rarely vocal on these things yeah. today. I will take a stand. And I got into an argument with uh, one of my best buddies, a mentor of mine, a guy you should have on your
1: podcast. His name is Rick Bennett. Oh, and, uh, I've been meaning that Rick Bennett. That's my favorite podcast episode ever. That's the guy with like the, the secret websites and testing messages. And, oh, I need a Rick Bennett intro. My gosh. Yeah. And
0: I'm going to have him back soon. It's been too long. I want him to be on regularly. If he'll do it, he's, he's, he's the marketing assassin. He's a legend and I love him. And he's very uh, much on the right. I think m- sort of libertarian, right? I, I don't want to, you know, but he, he and I don't hold, hold all the same views. And most recently, as I was posting some of the shit on LinkedIn, he said to me, you and I disagree about a lot, including the fact that you shouldn't be posting political stuff on LinkedIn. And I said, yeah, you and I do disagree about that. And here's why. If business leaders don't uh, vocalize opinions about how to shape, design, and create our society, our country, and our world, then we're going to leave it up to politicians. I personally, it's just my belief Think that's a mistake. I don't have anything against politicians. I know a lot of politicians. I know a lot of them get into it for very good reasons. And I know a lot of them are very good people. Um, and I support many of them on either sides. And if business leaders don't participate in a discussion about things they care about, then we leave it up to the politicians and the media to frame the conversation. So I think business leaders should. However, you have to be very careful. It will cost you revenue. When Mark Banioff comes out and says, if the governor of Georgia doesn't change their policies around gay marriage, we're shutting down all operations in Georgia and we're moving all our jobs out. He's going to piss off some number of people that will potentially cost him revenue. So if you want to do that, by all means. But you have to understand what you're doing and that there's going to be a cost associated with it. And like anything in life, you have to do a... Uh, cost-benefit analysis in your own mind to say, is this worth it to me? The other thing I'd say is, you better make sure you have the support of your board. Because if you don't, and you go off on your own, you might get shot. When I was the CMO of public companies, I was the spokesperson, the primary representative to the world for these companies. If I start taking a proactive position on certain social or political things, or even economic things, and they don't sort of agree that I'm going to go do that, then you're off on your own. If I was the CEO and you were the CMO and you just went off and did that, you and I would be having a conversation.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, it has, it does have, it does have a lot of Im- I- implications. I, 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 that, that would be an interesting follow up to that is I wonder if he did run it by the board. Yeah. I, I think people, I was looking at some of the comments cause I, I had posted about it, not, not really sharing an opinion one way or another, but I had said, um, you know, it's interesting that this happened. Like, is this what modern brands are going to do? And I think, I think people like the side of, wow, this is a brand showing that they're, they're for somebody or for some side that doesn't, that never happens But on the flip side. They're saying that the, the opposite of democracy is telling people who they should vote for. And I, so I understand both sides of that. By the way, if you want to go deep on this topic, my buddy, Christian Sarkar,
0: who's one of the most fascinating, incredible minds I've met has written a book with, um, uh, the legend Phil Coulter called brand activism about this topic. Huh. The other thing, just as a side note, cause it may be important. I've also tried to make it very, very clear that a I'm an independent. So I regularly piss off people I love on either sides of the aisle. Um, and B I'm interested in civil discourse I think the discourse makes us better. I want I want to live in a a world with a strong GOP. I want to live in a world with a strong Democratic Party. I w- I would love to see other parties thrive if possible in this country. So, I believe in the discourse, and here's why. I don't believe everything that I believed when I was 25, and that's because I've had conversations. Sure, I've read things, I've consumed media, uh, and I've learned things, and so I have. In some cases outright changed my mind. In some cases I've quote unquote evolved or moved in one way or another. And that's because you learn things and you consider things and you dig dig, dig deep. And I think if you're one of my favorite quotes, and I forget who said it, but the quote is, if you haven't changed your mind lately, how do you know you have one? And so I think a big person says, you know what? I used to kind of be here on this topic. I'm not there anymore. And that's okay. And you know what? I was really adamant that it was the way I thought it was. And now I'm either not so adamant or now I think I had my head up my ass. And that's true of me. And I think that's true of anybody with a brain. So that's the the first thing. The second part of it, I've tried to be very, very vocal and clear about is I'm a proponent of authentic dialogue. That's how we learn. And so as it relates to political topics or social topics, I'm interested in civil discourse and if you're willing to be civil with me and you're willing to be rigorous with me and unpack your opinion at a level of detail, then I am with you too. Because you know what? There are people in this world who hold vastly different beliefs from mine, beliefs that I cannot understand for a second that they hold, who A, I love dearly, and B, I know are deeply good people, deeply t- tethered. You know, Rick, Rick Bennett's a great example. Rick Bennett is deeply tethered to a set of core values that I share. He is a good man. There's no question in my mind. He's a good man. And he and I think a lot of different things (laughs) and that's okay. I want the civil discourse. I think it's powerful. And so hopefully when I take a position on something, whether it's who should be president or, or the situation with black people in our country or whatever, whatever other thing it is, I hope that people know or at least I try to make it clear that if, if you're a good person and we disagree, that's okay.
1: Yeah. Nice. I, I, I think people can rewind and listen back to that. It's, it's important. And
0: I think brands should be the same. Yeah. If you're going to take a position, sure. don't make the other side wrong. Now, by the way, if somebody picks a fight with me over it and they're not civil, I'm going to take them out to the woodshed and fucking destroy them and, and expose them for doing what they're doing. Right. So I, you you don't get to come and punch me in the face and, and I stay civil. That's not who I am. I'm a fighter. So if you're civil with me, I'm civil with you the entire way. If you get stupid, I'm going to smack you. That's just me. But again, that's a choice I've made. I, I think personal branding is bullshit. That's just who I am. And that comes across. I think if you're a brand or you're a CMO uh, or you're a CEO or an executive or an entrepreneur, you have to decide what your company's going to do or not. And and if you're going to embrace this idea that, that uh, Christian Sarkar calls brand activism or not, and you're going to have to deal with the facts that the fact that the chips are going to fall how they fall. And Benioff has decided to do that. Uh, There's a lot of other leaders who have not. I, 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 if, if, if uh, Bezos has ever come out and said stuff like that, I'm not aware of it. So he's been neutral. Best. I can tell the same thing with Gates Gates has been, Pretty neutral, best I can tell. They're very clear that with the Gates Foundation, they're going to work with whoever's in the White House and they're going to try to do the best job they can, period. And they seem to be trying to be pretty apolitical. That, that's an okay position if you want to take it. It's definitely the safer position. What else? <laughs> um, here, Here's one. You know, it's been a long time since I sat in the CMO spot and I'm, I'm aware of that. You sit in it today. Um, what do you think are the things... That are most important to be a legendary CEO uh right now at this moment in history. Legendary CMO right now?
1: Yeah. Hmm. I think you got to have an opinion. So speaking of opinions, I think you have to have an opinion. I think you have to have a strong and when I say opinion, I think you you have to have a strong point of view of like how marketing should be done. You you need to be open and flexible and change your mind, but I think you have to have a sense of um You know here's how we're going to do marketing here uh i expect this level of quality this you know this much production right that we move at this type of cadence we have this respect from within with inside of the organization so um i think that makes it that, that that's really important the the other thing is i think that you have to believe that marketing can be the thing that carries your company I think that the most important piece of a company today is the story, and you know either you've said this or others have said it, but like story is your strategy, and so if you can't articulate the story, like I think that to, to your point, like what you said earlier, I think that if you're the marketing leader and forget CMO, whether you could be the startup marketing manager at a six-person company or the CMO of a thousand-person company, you got to be that person that when you stand up and speak in front of the company, people are like take me, take me with you. I'm, I'm bought in. And, and, uh, and, you know, that's a natural, like personality trait for me. I love speaking. I love getting people fired up. I do that, but, but I've, I've spent a lot of time working on it. And I I think that just people don't appreciate that as enough as you have to be that spokesperson. You have to be that, that leader, that person who can, who can rally the team against hard decisions, uh, challenges, you know, sharing updates and, 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 you know, cheerleading the team, but also, going to the product team. Like I took pride in going and sitting down with the 50 people on the product team and getting them fired up. Like, Hey, I'm going to go, we're going to, we're going to really tell the, we're going to promote the, we're going to promote this amazing thing that you just built and it's going to blow your mind. And it's going to be amazing. Cause I think like when you get marketing, right, it can make everybody in the company feel proud to work at that company because they, marketing gives you these assets. Like my company wrote this book my company put on this event because usually if you're like whether you're the pr manager or you write code or you're in customer success like there's not often you don't have a lot of tactical tangible things you can tell your parents yeah go to my cybersecurity.com company website and they're like i don't know but if you're like my company wrote a book they're like whoa and i think i think marketing has the power to do that so to me like storytelling um first then the, the the third piece of it is really, and it sounds corny and cliche, but I'm really f- realizing this firsthand is, it, is, is people. You have to have an amazing team. And that sounds like such a bullshit like HBR an article about the importance of a good team. No kidding. You need a good team. But I just think that having a good team is not always about the creativity and the talent of the team. It means that they want to work with you. They want to, you're going to change, you're going to piss people off. You're going to change plans at the last minute. You're going to ask all people to do a lot with little and they're, they're inevitably going to not, you know, it's not always going to be easy. And so you want to have people that believe in you and want to work with you and want to work together. And as a team do this, um, because so much of honestly, you know, this Christopher likes marketing black and white of the black and white, like playbook of marketing is easy of business is easy. Usually what gets in the way is people and people present a lot of challenges. And so like people can get a l- in, in the way of marketing. And that's where a lot of the bullshit comes up. And so the better people you can surround yourself with. And so um, I, I talk to people now and say like, Hey, honestly, the most important thing for me in evaluate if I was evaluating a company would be like, can I work for the CEO? Do I believe them that they get marketing and I can jive with them and they're going to like, let me do this thing. And can I work with this team? Can we as a team be, be successful? And can we go and do these things together? Cause you can have all the great marketing ideas in the world, but if you can't go and get it done with the team, you you as a C you as a CEO, you don't actually do anything. <laughs> my my job is spent talking to other people uh to this morning i just created a placeholder slide deck and sent out the agenda for our our team meeting tomorrow you know like that's my job i gotta update the budget today and so you have to be able to really have a team that you can trust and 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 let them run at the same time and look that's a long like winded way of 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 talking to you about this but i just think like it's not i think it pays to be it pays to have a strong opinion. It pays to have uh it pays to be a great speaker and, and presenter and really nail the company's story. And if you can do that with a couple good people on a team, then forget Facebook ads versus Google versus SE. like anybody you your team can figure that stuff out.
0: Amen. Hallelujah, brother. Now I also want to talk to you about um something that you do very proactively. It's very clear. And I I know because I did the same thing. And uh, I also know there's a, there's a impact, uh downside impact that comes with it. You're very vocal. You're very quote unquote out there. You're posting shit on LinkedIn every 15 seconds. You started your own marketing group. You have, you know, your own podcast you're, to your point on speaking. Like you are fucking out there and you're out there for the company privy, but you're also out there as DG, DG marketing group, DG podcast, all that shit. Like you're, you're, you're building your own profile as well as the companies. Yep. And you know, of course the downside of that. And by the way, I did the same thing. And I heard the same shit about me that I'm sure you hear about you, which is, you know, I'm, DG's kind of a little self-promotional. Like why, why does he have to be on, on my fucking LinkedIn all day, every day or whatever <laughs> the thing is, right? Nope. You, you hear some of that, right? And my answer, and I say you're right. You are correct. And so, tell me about why you're so visible. Why you podcast? Why you write? Why you started your own marketing group? Why sure. you're you're delivering all this content to the world? Some of which is privy oriented, but a lot of it is not. You share a tremendous amount of real time marketing learnings that may or may not have much to do with privy's business.
1: Yeah. So, so number one is like, if I only promoted like content doesn't, if it, it there's content that is only promotional does not work, first of all. So like, if I only posted about Privy or then like that, that's not going to work. Nobody's going to be like, wow, this guy always posts. So I'm going to click on this link It just becomes noise. And I just become another piece of advertising. And so like, I think that's just not a strategy in general. And so I mix it in and, and I, I actually did this as an experiment about two years ago. So I used to like really only promote Drift on LinkedIn. And I'd be like, here's our, go to this webinar, do this thing, do this thing. Then I stopped and I just talked about marketing, not about Drift, but about marketing. Marketing is the thing that I love. To me, it's like, it's kind of like my craft, like a a technical person, their thing might be like, I'm going to go build a SaaS company. Like my thing is marketing and I love to work on it and teach it and, and practice it. And so I just shared all that stuff. And I was like, whoa, the engagement is like skyrocketing when I'm not talking about, when I'm not promoting or pushing a product on anybody. And so that was really powerful. And so, so I felt that firsthand. But there's a couple other benefits from it. Number one is I get to consistently... And I think like to be successful in marketing today, I think you have to have your finger on the pulse of marketing like what's happening in the industry from a tools and technology standpoint, from a people standpoint. And so what having something on the side has allowed me to do is really always have my finger on that pulse. I'm talking to people like you. I like I launched this B2B marketing leaders podcast. And that was honestly straight up just selfish for me because I want to learn more and get better as a CMO. And so I'm doing a podcast where I interview great CMOs. And so what happens is, Oh, now all of a sudden I just spent an hour talking to Bill Mesitis. He was a CMO. At Zendesk and Slack, now we're we're friend like we're friendly. He's hel- he's sending me stuff. He's helping me with things, and so I'm going back to my team at Privy and saying like, "Hey, uh, here's something that I'd like us to try." And I'm not just Dave who just made this idea up in the shower this morning. I I have it from this this you know 15 uh, year two time public company unicorn CMO told me this is what his team does, and so I'd like to try it. Right. So so I get I get better ideas, but I also get to to understand which companies are interesting, which tools are interesting, which technology. It it allows me to be my own media company on top of this. So I can take a bunch of learnings that are ultimately going to help me be better at, at, at my job. Oh, I interviewed someone who's amazing at YouTube marketing. Well, guess who's going to get that knowledge now that the team at Privy inside is going to get, you know, going to get some of those, um, learnings. Um, also on top of that, like, I think that people don't, people want to, People want to work with people, and so even though yes, I do work at Privy, uh, people want to see my face, and and I don't mean my face, I mean a face. They want to know, like, look, I, I was looking at some CEOs to random Twitter, like, there, this company is is. A, somebody's like, oh, this company's growing really fast. And so I looked at their, the company's Twitter account and they have 500 followers, but the CEO of the company has like 17,000 followers. And so like why everybody's obsessed with like, oh, we should put all that content in the brand account. No, be, be, like the people, you need people to tell the story of your company. And so I, as CMO, I think that I am really the chief storyteller of, of the company that I'm at. And and that means being, being active and out there on social. Also, I happen to do this in an industry where this is happening. How this is how our industry gets news and communicates with each other. We are not like the cybersecurity, you know, we're not in some hidden group where nobody's talking like this is where this stuff happens. And so I think there's an, there's an opportunity for me to be an active participant in those conversations. Ultimately, I have learned a ton from doing this. I'm always posting new stuff, which means I'm always trying to find new stuff, which means I'm always reading more books and I'm talking to more people. I'm learning about new strategies and tips and tactics. And I just think that it's a competitive advantage there are definitely some cons to it, of course, but I would be hard pressed to, to, to do that cost benefit analysis and not, and not see the positive ROI on, on, on that side of it. So I don't know. Uh, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. And by the way, it's never, it's never, it's never somebody who's ever posted anything on online that, that says that it's like the person who's, who's, who, you know, who has no real strong knowledge of content and social media. I, 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 you know, I just, I, so I, that take gets me so pissed off because I just think it's a completely wrong way to to look at it. You know, you're putting yourself out there for so many more positive opportunities, or you you could be that. That's why I hate stealth mode. I've told, I've talked about this. I hate stealth mode as a company. Like I would be, if I launched an e- e-commerce company tomorrow, before I even sold a product, I would be telling you about how I'm building the company and doing it on social media. Like, I just think it's such an advantage. I couldn't agree more. And you're amazing at
0: it. And you have taught me much by just watching you. And of course, we've had many uh, legendary conversations and I hope we have many, many, many more. You just mentioned, you. I, I know we're wrapping up, but like you mentioned another important thing. We can take as much time as you
1: want, by the way. <laughs> Podcasts are free or close to free. So it's also, it's also what I am. I have, I, I, I am talented at it. Like, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. It's like, I am terrible at math. I'm terrible at finance. I'm terrible at spreadsheets. The thing that I'm good at is writing and communication. And so I, this is not hard for me to do. It's not, people think that I'm like, I'm sitting in my office, all right, he's got to compose his LinkedIn post for the day. And I've got two hours on my count. Like I'll be walking down the street and pushing one of my kids in a stroller. And I'm like, oh, here's an interesting idea I thought of. Boop sent it. And 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 even like my marketing group. The reason I created it is because this is who I am on this podcast and off. I'm just always thinking and talking about marketing. And so the difference was, oh, I'm going to record an 8-minute podcast into my phone after I worked out and I'm going to upload that with my group and I wanted people to share that with because am I the only weirdo that's thinking about landing pages while I'm working out? I can't be. And so I'm going to post that and I'm going to share that online. And so some people are not going to like that, but it's not for everybody, but the overwhelming what you do get though is you do get like super fans and the power of a community. And this the the you know when you get it right, you, your Facebook group is insane too. The people that you, you're the follow your different group, like you know that is the community. What you can learn from that, and so I just think it's it's such an advantage if you can do it. However. I'm not expecting everybody to do that because that's not natural. Same way if I'm working with a CEO and I'm like, you know, people, Hey Dave, I want to get my CEO really out there on social media and I really want to get them on YouTube. I'm like, well, how are they on camera? And they're like, terrible. Okay. Well then don't fucking put them on YouTube. Then start a newsletter, start a, start a blog, right? Like ghost right for them. You have to match. Same way you have to match a company. You have to match marketing channels, to the strengths of the people that you have on the team and the company. And is the same thing applies with this. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> and I've learned so much from you. You know, the interesting thing
0: on the community that's nice of you to say for the follower of your different community, I, I feel like I pretty much suck at it. It's not something I feel. I, I actually don't feel uh, great about my social media skills and especially my quote unquote community skills. And so when you created uh, DGMG, and, and people for years have been saying, you know, you need to build your community and you need this and you need that. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I, I don't, I don't know. To your point, like, it's like, uh, I, I don't want to play tuba. I want to play guitar, yeah. right? So I never really... I mean, yes, we have a wonderful group. I love the interaction. It's fun, but it's not my core thing. The, the way I think DGMG is for you, like you're sure. on it. Right. And, and, and so, but, and for years, people have said, Oh, you need to really do that. And you should start your own marketing group and this and that. And so a, I love your marketing group. Cause I find it interesting. I love the window into what people are thinking. I love when people ask questions from time to time, I respond to one of them and you created the marketing group that I don't have to create. <laughs> <laughs> right. And okay, you're so, great at it. And I can participate if yeah. uh, when I feel like it and fucking have at it.
1: Yeah. And what, what you said is also important, which is like, I think with content, with any type of publishing, the opportunity is to just be the one that his, that presses send because what I'm sharing is not groundbreaking. I don't have a PhD in something important. Like, I'm sharing marketing tips and and strategy, but I know that 99% of people maybe have thought that, but didn't hit send on it. And that's the competitive advantage that I have. And so with the group, I'd be lying. Like, I I don't sit around and plot on creative ways to get engagement. I'm like, huh, why can't the CMO be the CRO? I'm going to post that in my Facebook group and see what happens. You know, sure enough, five hours later, oh, we struck a nerve. Okay huh, people like this topic. Maybe I should do a podcast on this topic. Maybe I should, you know, like that's how that stuff happens. Actually, further to your point,
0: there was a question in your group that somebody asked, and it was something along these lines. It was like, can you have a successful marketing career past 50 in tech or something like that? And I thought, that's a great question. So I wrote a response. And it got some engagement. I thought, that's really interesting. Okay. So I took it. I cleaned the response up a little bit. And I posted it on LinkedIn. And it went ba-boom. Well, guess what? Same thing. I'm now going to do a podcast on this and a blog on Lockhead.com on this because hit a nerve. Would I have thought of that on my own? I don't know. Probably not. But somebody in your group asked it surprise, surprise. I have, I have an opinion and I'm 52 years old. Actually, you know, I've been saying I was 53 the other day. A friend of mine said to me, you know, you're
1: 52, <laughs> but anyways, I digress. <laughs> well, it's, been, it's been multiple years and once, but like what you talked about that to me is like, that is the secret to being, to, to being good at content for your personal, for, for personally, for your company, for whatever, which is going to where people are talking about the thing that you, that you need to be in the conversation about. Oh, wow. I can contribute. I can add value. I am over 50 and I do have a career in this world. And so you shared your take, you shared it, saw that people were interested in it. And then you thought, huh, there's more here. You could, if we're really talking, like you could really, you could write a book, like no bullshit. I could you could write a book, on that, write a book how, sure. how to, how to build a marketing career over 50. And that book would blow up because everybody over 50 in, in tech or whatever niche you wanted to be would buy that book. And so like, That's also why I am out there so much on social media, because I think it is such a, in a world where like hacks are really not good. One hack is to just, if you can just be putting stuff out into the world, always, we have this mechanism to like basically test your ideas. And so like Rick Bennett, back Rick Bennett, Salesforce days, right? He had to set up like all these websites and find ways to like, you know, get ghost traffic to them where I can just post something on LinkedIn. That doesn't cost me anything. Or, and I think that's the value of it. That's how you message chess or you send an email to your list, right? Because Christopher, what you could do is you could, if you have an email list, let's, I, whether you do or don't, doesn't matter. But you could literally email your list and be like, hey, so I'm really on this topic lately about um, being successful in tech over 50. And I have this crazy idea. I wonder if I could write a book about it. Just curious, if I wrote that book, would you buy it? What you get back in your inbox is 500 people that say, yes, I would buy it. And so now not only have you tested this idea, but you now have people who basically have already pulled out their credit card to buy it. And so now you have $20,000 in sales before you even written a word in the book. And that to me is like, that's the most important piece of marketing. And if I like summarize all the things that I do, it's it's that one play in in one example. I love everything about what you just said. And I would also like to add
0: to it, And say, the thing that I admire about how you do this is you, my friend, are the opposite of the fucking hustle porn stars. (laughs) Okay? They're idiot hustle porn stars who say, oh, you should be putting out 250 pieces of content a day. And they just puke shit on social media all day long. Oh, I'm in the bathroom now. Those those guys, right? The, the, the Kardashianization of the fucking business, yeah. marketing, yeah. and entrepreneurial world. I can't stand any of those assholes. You're not that. And here's why, in my opinion, there is a very big difference between creating content and making a contribution. Yep. And you are you are trying to give a lot more than you're trying to get. And and you're and you're dealing at the idea level. Not at the self promotion level, the Kardashian. How, how does my ass look in these pants, right? Which is what these hustle porn stars are essentially doing. They're, they are—they just want attention. Some of them have come right out and say, "I'm in the attention business." Sure. Well, if you're in the attention business, go fuck yourself. Why? Why should we pay attention to you? Because you spew crap just because you want your your you genitalia tickled on social media all day, every day. Go fuck yourself. right? (laughs) And so there's a very different big difference between that spewing content and making a contribution. And it's very clear to me for the most part. And I try to be the same, but you've taught me. You come from this place of trying to make a contribution, trying to stimulate conversation, trying to add to the conversation, trying to learn.
1: Yeah, I mean, every once in a while, everybody's got something that they need to promote, and and whatever that 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 is how it goes. But yeah, I think I also think that's the best content strategy, which is like to not if you're if you're an expert if if you're a quote unquote expert or have expert knowledge in an area. So my my father-in-law is a carpenter. He has no interest in making his business bigger, but I know for a fact that if I if he was like, "Hey, you can take over my business," I would turn him into like. The number one DIY guy on YouTube. And he would be the way he would win would be like we'd be making a hundred YouTube videos of like how to fix everyday things around the house. And because you'd watch his videos and be like, oh, this guy knows his shit. Okay, he has more for me. Oh, he has a he has a course on how to build a, you know, build your own shed. Okay. And so what's interesting is uh I've I've found that the best content is that it's tactical and educational. But that's last year, I was like, you know what? I want to see, see if there's like a paid member. I'm really interested in like paid content. And I was like, I wonder if there's a paid membership version of this. And so I was like, ah, some people are going to be upset by this. This guy, now he's charging for his content. But it all comes back to value. And so what happened was a ton of people took a chance. And they said, yeah, you know what? I've been following this guy's content for a while. I'll, I'll, 10 bucks a month, sure. Let's see. Then they get in the group and they're like, whoa, this is like the next level version of what happens on LinkedIn. Okay. And so there is real value here. And so I think like, I say that just to say that if you are struggling thinking about a content strategy, just throw that away and say, how can we be the best resource for educating our potential customers on how to do their job, whatever that is better, not, not uh, use our product, right? But, but just be, just be better. Uh, get smarter, learn, be more efficient, be more productive. That's how you're going to win people from a relationship standpoint, right? People people will now will now like in that father-in-law example, they're going to watch all those YouTube videos and be like, "How do I when they do have a project, I got to do a, de- a new deck this summer." Oh, I'm gonna go look up that guy and see if he can teach me how to do it. That's what you want to be. um I love the the building a story brand framework from this guy Donald Miller uh, and he basically just it, it it's not a it's not like a rocket science playbook, but it's basically like, look, your job as a marketer is you need to be the guide for your customer who's the hero. You're trying to help them, right? You are Yoda. You're the Sherpa. Exactly. You're the Sherpa. You've talked about that, right? You are, you're, you're, you are... Your customer is Luke Skywalker and you are Yoda. And I love that analogy because like, that's how I treat my content. Is like, I'm just here to talk about marketing and hopefully people can learn stuff along the way. Well, and you do a great job at it. DG, anything else for today? No, this was fantastic. I'm excited that you're going to have some regular people on, especially Rick Bennett uh, and... You know, I, I'm looking forward to hearing you guys hash out some of your, your political differences and also talk <laughs> about his assassin copywriting, you know, whatever, whatever crazy stuff he did. I remember that was one of those podcasts where like, I'm, I usually just try to listen. That was like, I kept pulling up my phone and stopping and like writing notes down because it was, it was fantastic. And I'm like, who's the modern day Rick Bennett? There's got to be somebody. I found one of them. Cole Schaefer. Ooh his stuff you know what's funny i reached out to him a while i was like let me get you on your po- can i get you on my podcast he's like i i can't i gotta focus on copywriting and i was like damn that's that i appreciate that i appreciate that saying no to that i appreciate that i've seen you post a bunch of his stuff and i'm I'm on his email list his stuff his stuff is very good and you want to know a secret yes i think he's 27 or 28
0: years old I, i i think he's incredible how did you find him you know, I, I don't remember. Somebody introduced me to him. I talked to him about this all the time, and neither one of us can remember because I want to thank that person. I don't know. Somebody said, check this guy out, uh, honeycopy.com. But here's here's a secret. He and I are working together on a marketing guide, and it's a stunner. And the reason it's a stunner is he takes an idea, he takes a podcast episode, and he does with it, whatever he wants. So he, he he takes whatever I give him as a leap off point. So it's, it's a true collaboration. He's not just writing shit that I say, no, 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 no. He's taking an idea in whatever direction he wants to go with it. And he uses yeah. whatever of the idea he thinks is germane and boom, that's the guide. And it's this it's this amazing thing of kind of the old been there done that guy and the young guy with a very sharp blade coming together and when he sent me the first you know handful of um it's it's just in it's it's sort of like a collection of blog posts on on ideas is sort of how it's structured and when he sent me the first 10 or 15 of them i was just knocked over i'm like oh my God, this is, I don't know if anybody's going to like this, what, but what's I fucking the, what's the, love it.
1: What's the format going to be like that? What's the finished publishable version going to be? Is it, is it a book or is it a bl- like online thing? What is it?
0: What we're thinking of doing is not doing it as a book of doing it as an online guide. He he's created a couple for himself. He's got one on copywriting and one on sort of, how to build a legendary business as a freelance type guy like he is where he shares his learnings. Cause you know, he's been incredibly successful as as he, as he, as he has written, he turned dreams into words into bricks cause he just bought his first house. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. He's incredible. How's that for the ROI on copywriting? He's going to build his entire life on it. And my personal commitment is that he has the most legendary career he can possibly have? He he's a guy that I I am deeply invested in because he's just that great. And I think, well, shit, if he's this great at 26 or 27 or 28, however fucking old he is, right? Man, oh man, when this guy's 58,
1: whoo, you
0: know, he, he's anyway, he's That's incredible. Awesome. Well,
1: keep me posted when you do that. I would love to. I would love to find a way to help share that out with people. So, all right, DG, we'll talk soon.
0: All right, there he is, the legendary Dave Gerhart. And we would like to thank DG himself. Don't forget to check out his uh, marketing podcast called the B2B Marketing Leaders Podcast. Everywhere you get legendary podcasts. My friends at One Life Fully Lived are the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. Check out the number one, lifefullylived.org otranet uh, my friends at otranet have been building legendary b2b websites in silicon valley for over 20 years check out n e t and there's a new podcast coming called conquer your category stay tuned and we um if you're looking at doing a podcast or maybe you are a podcaster check out squadcast.fm this is the platform professionals use to do uh internet-based audio podcasts, and uh, that's what we use around here. Check out squadcast.fm. And um, (laughs) my friends at uh, Rapid Media are there to help you do legendary marketing in Australia. Check out rapidmedia.com.au today. All right, this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. We love it when you share our shit. And uh, I love it when I get notes from CEOs and CMOs who say they have made this podcast mandatory listening. If you're somebody who's being forced to listen to this podcast, I apologize. We are obviously created in a studio that does contain nuts. We are produced by living podcast legend, Jason DeFilippo. Check out his podcast. It's called grumpy old geeks and it's awesome. Particularly if you're in the tech space, speaking of tech, Technical Awesomeness in Lockhead.com by Jamie J. and Sarah Knox. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. And Candy Dandy keeps all the trains running on time. The thought I'll leave you with today comes from Simon Sinek, who, who says, People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Please stay healthy, stay safe, stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your different.